I haven't gotten to tell all of you a mountain climbing story lately, so there I was, 12,500 feet in an unheated hut on Mont Blanc. So there I am, freezing to death. I was so, so cold in this particular situation. And I found myself being kind of hugged and warmed up by a beautiful Romanian woman with laser blue eyes. It was kind of a vocations crisis at that moment. <laughs> Do I have everybody's attention now? <laughs> okay, so this was after the first year of theology while I was studying in Rome. So many of you know that throughout your vocation and throughout your discernment process, you go to the seminary, first of all, to continue your, your discernment. It takes a little while until you actually make that firm decision, what they call the presumption of permanence, usually shortly, about a year or so before you would be ordained a deacon or so. And so at that particular time, there was still this question in my mind whether or not I might want to get married or something like that. And so what happened on that particular trip, and the reason I tell this story is because of our very gospel today, and we'll get there in a moment. So what happens on this trip is that this is the sixth day of the mountaineering trip. We'd already successfully climbed another mountain in Italy called Gran Paradiso. And so by this point, everybody's pretty tired and worn out. So on our way up to Mont Blanc on the first day, usually it's fairly uneventful. So a, a leisurely three-hour hike up to this nice little cog railway, which takes you the rest of the way up to your first hut. And then as should happen, this cog railway is very unreliable and breaks down all of the time. So we make it up there about three hours, and it's broken down. And so we had to walk another three hours up instead of a leisurely 20-minute little train ride. And so as we start walking, it starts to rain. And so all of our trusty Gore-Tex and amazing waterproof stuff that we have, it works amazing like here in Portland, walking to and from your car, here and there, but after three hours, everything just gets wet all the way through. It doesn't matter how fancy the technology is. So we're going, and then of course, the higher you go, eventually the rain turns into snow. So by the time we got to the hut, we are completely soaked, just, just completely soaked. But a trip that I, had, a trick I've learned long ago in mountaineering, as, as, as uncomfortable as it is, is it is better to keep all of your clothes, all of your wet clothes on because they will dry way, way faster from your body heat than if you try to take them and hang them up in some really cold environment like this unheated hut that we were just in. And so I just sitting there uncomfortably in like my freezing, like stiff, some of my clothes, you could like move them in one piece. And so everything's starting to melt. But the thing I was worried the most about was my boots. My boots were absolutely soaked. And, and boots don't, they just don't dry very fast. So that was one of the problems. So we tried to get a little bit of sleep in the hut before we went for our summit push that night. I woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and just as my worst fears had confirmed, I put my boots on, and they were still just so wet. And so we started up. We're going, going for about um, three hours, four hours, and then we get to this other hut. And so that's at the point where I am just freezing. Like, you know, one of those kinds of freezing where you're just chattering so much and you're just shaking. And so in that moment, 
we're in there and, and my new friend Anka is trying to keep me warm, trying to keep me warm. And thankfully somebody else got me another jacket. But in that moment, I didn't know if I wanted to be a priest, <laughs> you know? And so what ends up happening though, is that, like I said, that's the sixth day of our trip at that time. So many years later, probably about four years later, Anka gives me a call, or actually it was like um, a WhatsApp message at the time, so like a text message. And she started asking me these bigger questions about God. She's just like, you know, I have a great job. I make a lot of money. Because of my job, I've lived all over the world. I've done all kinds of adventures. I mean, all kinds of things she's done, like sailing and other mountains and, you know, motocross rides across overland trails. I mean, really, truly a very adventurous life. And then she said, and there was this thing that I really wanted to buy, and I'd been wanting it for years. And then I finally got it, and then it was like, meh, (laughs) you know, just kind of very anticlimactic. And so she started to ask me about God. The reason that I tell you that story is because the same way that we get to know the God of the universe is the same way that we get to know each other is through conversation and time. Jesus realizes that he needs to remove his key disciples, Peter, John, and James, outside of their normal daily routine. We all have some sort of a routine. Sometimes that routine becomes kind of a rut. And so we're like, we have to break away from that routine sometimes. And there's almost no greater way to do that than to climb a mountain it absolutely breaks you out of your routine. And so, and what happens on this trail? The same exact thing that happened with Anka and I is over the course of six days, we talked and got to know each other. We, you know, it was a very unique group. One, one, one guy from Austria, she was from Romania, um, but was living in China at the time. And then a guy from Denmark, a couple from Colorado. It was very, you know, and of course then the, the, the seminarian who lives in Portland but is living in Rome at the time. So it was a very unique group. But as that time went on, we really got to know each other. And then nothing kind of like breaks down the bonds than when one of you is in need and you're like having to kind of cuddle for warmth, you know? That kind of just like takes away a lot of pleasantries. And the amazing thing is just think of Peter, James, and John walking up the Mount of the Transfiguration. Some of you may have been there may have been to the Holy Land and actually hiked that trail. Now, it's not exceptionally long, but it does take a while. It does take a while of hiking, of talking to one another, of getting to know each other. And often, the things that you talk about, when you have a long enough period of time, is you get into the big aspects of your life. Often, if you open yourselves up and you let yourself be vulnerable enough, you often talk about the great pains of your life or the great triumphs of your life. Perhaps it's the death of a loved one and how difficult that has been for you in your life. Perhaps it was getting married or having your first child or your first grandchild or something like that. But you start to give people a sense of what your life is like. But you do it through conversation and time. During this time that we have here in Lent, That's exactly one of the points of what we're doing, is Lent 
is like a diversion. It's like climbing the mountain. It's different than other parts of the year. And so all of the things that we do during the Lent are so that we can build up this time and conversation that we have with God. To be able to be closer to him, it, the only way we can do that is we fast, we get rid of things to remove obstacles between us and Christ. We pray, that very act of praying is that conversation and time. And so what happens as they're walking up this path, as they continue to get to know one another, Jesus reveals that he is truly God. He actually reveals who he is and what is going to happen. But again, even though that was a huge revelation, a huge reveal for Christ, we have to realize that there were still missing pieces of the puzzle, even for the three men who saw Jesus glorified. Glorified, and then a cloud comes over them, and God in heaven says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's a pretty profound direction that you have right there. And yet they were still missing pieces of the puzzle. One of the big pieces of the puzzle that we hear that they're missing is they were confounded. They just couldn't understand what he meant about don't tell anybody about this until I've risen from the dead. I imagine they're like, what in the world is he talking about until he rises from the dead? They had no idea what he really meant by that, and they couldn't completely understand it. So flashback to myself, you know, there freezing my butt off in the hut, and in that moment, what happens? There are a lot of missing pieces of the puzzle at that point. But then if you flash forward to four years later, when my friend is calling me and asking me about God, it was because of the conversation and time that we had spent together and four more years of time and discernment and conversation with God that allowed me to be firm in my decision to become a priest at that point. I may have even, actually, I may have already even been ordained a deacon at this point in my life. So already making this firm commitment to Christ, to becoming a priest, that I was able to actually talk to my friend. But four years ago, I didn't have that part of the puzzle. I didn't quite understand it. A huge part of our Christian life is very much like a mountain. It, it just takes constant, constant perseverance towards our goal, towards Jesus Christ. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of conversation. So if there's people in your life that you know who seem like holy people, or people who know God is, there's no doubt it is because they have taken a lot of the time in their life and filled it up with speaking to God and hearing him speak back to them. I heard one of my, one of my good friends who's a priest say this one time, and, and I'll just leave you all with this thought. One of the most difficult thoughts in our or difficult aspects of our spiritual life is like I said, it's that leap of faith knowing that we only know so much. Sometimes we're like, God, just light up my path. Like, show me what that roadmap is, and I promise you I will follow it. And I'm here to tell you, no, you will not. <laughs> that is exactly why he does not light up the entire path before you. Because if you saw 
all of the twists and turns and detours and difficulties mixed with the joys and the triumphs, it, it does not look like a straight line. And so if we saw that path, the Lord knows. There, you'd be like, no way. Look at all this stuff. It's all over the place, God. What are you talking about? This is the worst plan ever. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like our perspective. But what happens is you take a step. You take a step, and he lights up that spot where your foot is about to land. He lights up that space underneath your foot. So you take a step, and he lights up that space. You take a step, and he lights up that space. It is by faith, it is by the trust that we build in God, by getting to know him, the same trust that my friend and I had built up over years that allowed her to ask a profound, life-altering kind of question. We don't know the roadmap. Neither did the disciples. It was not all laid out for them. But we continue to take steps toward him. And I promise you, if you continue to take a step towards our Lord Jesus Christ, he will continue to light up that path underneath your feet. And although you want it to be illumined all the way to see where you're going, he knows in his infinite wisdom that that's not the best way for you. The best way is to trust and keep taking those steps of faith and let him gradually light up your path until you're with him in heaven. God bless you all today.